A very good morning to you all, so whenever you're watching, welcome to this live stream uh, run by Stornoway Free Church. You're very welcome, wherever you are <coughs> watching in the world, from verse 17 and to verse 37. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise out quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying. We pray God will bless this short passage of his word to us. Now let's join together in prayer. Let's call upon the Lord in prayer. Lord our God, it is always a privilege to come into your presence, whether we do it privately or collectively, whether we do it gathered together in one place or as we are today in different places, sharing together in this time of worship. We know that it is our greatest privilege to know you, to worship you and to love you and to be loved by you. The need of our soul, O Lord, is to know that we are loved. And we know that we are loved by God when you come into our lives and when you take us to know yourself. We thank you, Lord, today for the many blessings that we do enjoy. And though we live in times of confinement and confusion and difficulty and trial, yet, Lord, help us to lift our heads above these things. Enable us to look towards the God who gives us strength, the one who created us in the beginning and in whose hand is our life. We thank you today, Lord, that we can do so here together. And as we call out to you and give praise to your name, Lord, we pray that you would hear our voice and that we may hear your voice. Speak to us, Lord, we pray, from your word. 
and unto us your Holy Spirit to lay these words on our heart. Enable us, Lord, to know in our hearts that we have indeed today met with God in worship, and that we have come to know fellowship with him, that we have enjoyed being in his presence, and yet come to realize the awesomeness of your great name, of your being, of all your attributes. We thank you, Lord, that knowing that we are sinners, yet you have still come to give us a place in your presence. We thank you today for the means by which we draw near to you, and especially the ground on which we approach you in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we come unto you, Father, through him. And we thank you that you assure us of your welcome as we come, claiming his great merit and his righteousness. And help us all to do so, we pray, in case we should come thinking we are good enough in ourselves to have your acceptance and your favour. We thank you, Lord, that we can look out with ourselves, out with our own sinfulness, our own limitations, our own inadequacy, that we can come to look at the fullness of Jesus and come to know that in him we are truly accepted by God. And so help us, Lord, to come believingly, believing in him with that trust that would give ourselves anew into his hand and that would take delight in being ruled by him. And Lord, we ask today that you would impress upon us the fact of your lordship, that you are indeed risen from the dead, that you are Lord over all things, that you sit upon the throne of the universe with the book of history in your hand, and that as all the events of the world's history unfold, so we are seeing the outworking of your great plan. And we bless you that while there is much in it on many of its pages that we cannot understand, Lord, we know that you hold it all together and that all things will work to the end that you have purposed, and especially for the blessing of your people and the glory of your great name. So, Lord, bless us, we pray today, and bless us in our situation at this time anew, we still find ourselves, Lord, under this lockdown. And we find ourselves still concerned over the number of deaths that we know from this virus. O oh Lord, we give thanks that we can bring all who mourn today before you, all who are anxious over loved ones and all who are ill, whether with the virus or with other diseases. We thank you, Lord, that you are the great physician, the one who is able to restore our soul and even to heal us bodily too, when you see fit to do so. Lord, help us, we pray today, to commend to you all that we know and are in charge of this situation in our land and elsewhere. Remember again, we pray, our leaders and government. Remember those who give them advice. Remember those who are in the medical professions and in the emergency services, and those who care for others in the community, in all the ways, O oh Lord, in which people are directly involved in dealing with illness and with this virus, we pray for them today and we thank you uh, for the facilities you have given us as a nation uh, where we have your goodness displayed in so many advancements made in medicine and in so many other areas of life. O oh Lord, we know that every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from you as the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness and no changing in a way that we know change in our lives. 
So help us, we pray today, to worship you as the living God, as the God who is uh, a creator of all and to whom we are answerable, and the God especially and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world that we might live through him. And Lord, we ask today that you would continue to bless us in our homes, in our families, bless our children, our grandchildren, and bless them especially at this time when they may be further confused and perplexed about their limitations and lack of freedom to do what they used to. Remember those, Lord, who teach them in Sunday school activities. We give thanks that they do so online and for the efforts and for the dedication shown by them in doing so. We pray that you would bless our teachers, those who teach in our schools. Help them at this time, O Lord, we pray. And help especially those hub schools that still care for those who are in need and especially for the vulnerable. Lord, we commit them to you and ask that you would bless them and bless those who uh, see uh, each day, O Lord, as a means by which to reach out to those who are in need. And so, Lord, bless us now, we pray. Continue with us here and hear our cry and listen to our plea for mercy. For we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. A word to the children at this point. I'm going to read a few verses from the Gospel of Luke, and that's chapter 8, and especially uh, we're going to focus on verse 46. So Luke chapter 8, verse 46, is about this woman who came and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And when she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, she was healed of the disease. She had a hemorrhage of blood, and for many, many years she had gone to doctors trying to uh, get a cure for this problem and she had spent all her money in fact and still she wasn't cured so she came to Jesus and she said she heard about him and she came behind him and she said if I might just touch the hem of his garment I'd be healed so she did so and as soon as she touched the hem of, her ga of his garment she was healed and then Jesus turned and said who is it that touched me and the disciples were a bit amazed because there was a huge crowd and lots of people close together were touching Jesus and they were amazed that he said, who touched me? So they said, Master, the crowds around you are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. You see, Jesus knew that one touch, that it was different to all the other ordinary touches at that time, that he was experiencing because it was the touch of a woman in faith who came to him for help. Now you know children when we meet with each other very often we'll say whether it's on the phone or whether we meet with each other the way we can't do just now but very often we'll say now keep in touch or we'll say make sure you keep in touch and what we're doing there is really saying when you phone somebody or speak to somebody, even when you speak face to face to them, or the way I'm speaking to you just now, although I cannot see you physically, it's still the case that my voice is touching your life, wherever you are. And when we speak to each other on the phone or whatever, we can say that we are actually touching that other person's life that we're speaking to. That's why we say, keep in touch don't lose contact with my life. And so my word to you today is really very simple. 
keep in touch with Jesus. Keep in touch with Jesus through praying and through reading the Bible, because that's his word. And we're going to look in the sermon today at the voice of Jesus, something of what that means. But for yourselves as children, it's very simple to keep in touch with Jesus. And Jesus is always available. Sometimes when you try to get in touch with people by phone or by uh, WhatsApp or whatever you're using, you'll find they're not available. Maybe you'll get a message in return saying they're not available just now. God is never unavailable. God is always uh, there to be contacted. He's always ready to listen to your voice. And it's the most wonderful thing that any time, in any place, in any situation, you can speak to God. You can keep in touch with Jesus. And that's what he really wants us to do, to always keep in touch with him. Because you see, just like for this woman, when you keep in touch with Jesus, his power keeps running into your life. That's what happened to this woman. She knew that if she touched even the hem of his garment, his power would change her life. And when Jesus turned and said, who touched me? Isn't it a wonderful thing today for you as a child? Whenever you speak to Jesus and touch Jesus, he immediately recognizes your voice. He knows your touch. Even if there are millions of others touching him at the same time, he will know your touch when you come believing him, trusting in him, looking to be helped by him. So please keep in touch with Jesus. It's a wonderful thing we're able to keep to touch in touch with each other, even through such things as we're doing today, and through Zoom and through WhatsApp and all the rest of it. But that's nothing like as wonderful as keeping in touch with Jesus. So whatever age we're at, keep in touch with Jesus. So let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now we're going to read a few more verses from John 11. And we'll come to look at this passage for a few moments together. John 11, verses 38 to 44. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said those things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with the linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him 
and let him go. Now, last week we looked for a short time at the touch of Jesus. We looked the previous week at the self-isolation of Jesus. And having looked at the touch of Jesus last week, uh, I want to just spend a few moments considering the voice of Jesus. It'll include a few other passages along with this one where the voice of Jesus is mentioned. And as you see the voice of Jesus mentioned in the Gospels, it's always important to notice the context and the kind of reference made to the voice of Jesus. Because as we'll see here, it's important that we read, he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. That's an important emphasis. We'll come back to look at it in a moment. Now, just like every human voice has its own pattern. My voice is different to any other voice in the world, so is yours. Just like your fingerprint, your voice also has its own pattern. And the voice of Jesus has a pattern like no other, in a way that's absolutely special. And there are three things about the voice of Jesus, mostly from this passage, that we can just look at today briefly. First of all, here we have the pitying voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus is a voice of pity toward us. Secondly, here's the praying voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus is often a voice in prayer. And thirdly, here's the powerful voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus is a voice of power. Pity, prayer and power. Three distinct characteristics of the voice of Jesus. How do we understand them? What do they mean to us? Let's look at the pitying voice of Jesus firstly. If you look at verse 33, you'll find there how Jesus spoke. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And you come forward then to verse 38 and you'll find a similar reference. Jesus deeply moved again came to the tomb, and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Now that tells you something of the pitying voice of Jesus as he pitied these sisters who had just lost their brother. And his pity comes from, firstly, his understanding of death. Jesus came to this situation, to the grave of Lazarus, with an understanding of death far above anyone else who was there, or anyone else could have. Remember the context here in John 11 is that for four days, there's been four days since Lazarus died and his body was laid in this sepulchre in this tomb. And when you read that Jesus here came deeply moved within himself and that he wept, as it says there in verse 35, Jesus wept, there's more to that than Jesus just showing sympathy with Mary and Martha over the death of their brother. There is that undoubtedly. He did have that empathy, as we'll see in a minute. But there's more than that to it. What this is telling you is that Jesus sees death as nobody else can. Jesus sees death here as the devastating wages of sin, as Romans 5 puts it. Because Jesus understood the source of sin and the sorrow of death. The source of death and the sorrow of sorry the, the source of death in sin and the sorrow of death in response to that. He understands where death came from, what it was caused by in the beginning. 
and he understands the sorrow of death and the experience of losing someone. The remarkable thing here is that what you're actually seeing is humanity's creator weeping over its ruination. Let me repeat that. Humanity's creator, the creator of humanity, human beings, human life, weeping over the ruination of that life through sin and by death. We caused that. We rebelled against God. And God did what he had himself specified. The day you eat of it, what I have forbidden you, you will surely die. You see, that's what Jesus is dealing with. He came here and his this sepulchre where the body of Lazarus lay at rest. He was really in himself saying to himself and knowing in himself, this is what's happened to the humanity I created for fellowship in life with myself. And as he sees what's happened to humanity, and as he sees this sample, if you like, of what human beings have become and become subject to death, the Creator weeps over the ruination of what he created. And isn't that a wonderful thought? That in a world that today has always, but today especially with this virus, a world that's so full of weeping, a world that knows so much about death, a world that experiences the sorrow of death, the finality of death, the deeply upsetting thing that death is, that the creator of human beings understands, knows, and draws from that. The second thing in the pitying voice of Jesus, which is his empathy with sinners. He didn't just come along with these sisters to stand alongside them and just to show face. He came alongside them to show his empathy, to show sympathy, but also empathy in the sense that he was able to enter into that situation. And the empathy of Jesus in the pitying voice of Jesus is genuine and it's complete, far above anything that any pastor like me can give you, far above anything that anyone else can give you. And you know, that's actually added to by his own experience of death. In that wonderful letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, um, Hebrews chapter 4 especially, the early chapters of Hebrew speak about the superiority of Jesus even over the angels. Uh, but when he came to the death of Jesus and writing about the death of Jesus, uh, what the writer to the Hebrews said that he is able to empathize, sympathize. He is able to give help to those who are tempted, who experience bereavement, who experience death. You see, by his own experience of death, the Son of God is able not only just to use his divine knowledge, but his human experience, his experience as the God-man, as the unique person he is, to bring his empathy, his comfort, his healing touch, as we saw last week, to bear upon our circumstances. The pitying voice of Jesus. You know, when you come to know yourself, and when I come to know myself as a sinner, when I need pity, when I need the mercy of God, when I need to know that the throne of the universe cares about me, where do I find the evidence for it? 
find the evidence for it in the pitying voice of Jesus, in Christ's understanding of death, of sin, in Christ's empathy with sinners, with the dying, because he's been there. And surely one of the most comforting thoughts in all existence is that when you come to think of your own grave and mine, you can actually see the footprint of Jesus already there before you, the Son of God. And his pitying voice today is a pitying voice that comes from his knowledge of our circumstances as well as what he is as God. So that's the first thing about his voice. It's a pitying voice. The voice of Jesus is a voice of pity toward us. Secondly, it's the praying voice of Jesus. Verses 41 and 42 there, you can see him praying there to the Father. When they took away the stone, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said, I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And in the praying voice of Jesus, you have two things as well. First of all, it revealed who he was, and secondly, it revealed what he had become. The praying voice of Jesus is a praying voice of both the Father and the Saviour. It revealed who he was and who he still is. Here he is saying, Father. When Jesus began using the word Father, it was introducing something virtually new in the experience of the church, the experience of God's people. Not that they didn't know something of God's fatherliness in the Old Testament in his care and indeed as creator, but they had never come yet to experience the closeness of fatherliness as it's described by Jesus. The nearness of Jesus the Son to God the Father. Now he brought that into uh, our our reckoning so that we could see into the very fatherly heart of God. It revealed who he was as the Son of God, his relation to God the Father, indeed his own divine status as well, because none has the sonship that Jesus has. None has that relation in itself to God the Father that he has. But it didn't just reveal who he was as the Son of God, it revealed who he was as the Saviour of sinners. Look at the wonderful thing he says there. I am saying this, he said, so that they may believe that you sent me. They who are listening to me, who are hearing this prayer, he's saying that they may come to believe that you sent me. And the moment he says that you sent me, you actually think in yourself then of the different ways in which the Bible, especially the Gospel of John, speaks about the father and son relationship of Jesus and the father he is the one who was sent by the Father, who came willingly from the Father. He came on a great mission of salvation. So that you find in chapter 10, chapter before this, where Jesus is contrasting himself with all the other shepherds, where he says, I am the good shepherd. I have come that they might have life and have it in all its abundance. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You see, when Jesus saying, He's the sent one. It means he's come on this specific mission. This wonderful, precise, uh, impossible to measure mission from God 
to save the likes of you and I, to save sinners from their sins. That's why he's called Jesus. And when you hear the praying voice of Jesus described in the Gospels, as you listen, as you read the words and listen, as it were, to his voice praying, well, it revealed who he was and who he still is. He's the divine son of God, but he is the saviour of sinners too. It revealed, secondly, what he had become. He had become a servant and an example. Just as it revealed who he was, a son and saviour, so the praying of Jesus revealed what he had become, a servant and example to us. Being a servant, of course, relates to being sent by the Father, uh, and especially to his own obedience to the Father. His own obedience as our representative, as our substitute, as the one who came to take our place. And his obedience went all the way through to the death of the cross, which he took to himself. That's why he said in John 10, as we've just mentioned, uh, Herein does my Father love me, for this my Father loves me, that I lay down my life. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I have received this command from my father. He wasn't forced into it. He took delight in doing the will of the father, as Psalm 40 in its prophecy reveals to us. Then I said, to do your will, I take delight, as Hebrews quotes it. So here is Jesus, the praying voice of Jesus, revealed what it become as the servant of the father. And all the way through John's gospel especially, you find that emphasis on him speaking to the Father and praying to the Father as the servant. And when you come to the Garden of Gethsemane, you'll find, especially in the other Gospels, how his obedience is so obviously a matter of uh, what he prays about and what's revealed by his praying. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There's the Son genuinely praying, sincerely praying, if it were at all possible, this cup of death, this cup of damnation, the cup we deserved, that it be taken out of his hand, if it be possible, nevertheless, he said, not my will, but yours be done. It revealed he had become the servant, this praying voice of Jesus, but also our example because Jesus revealed perfect human life. That's what human beings were created for, what we fell from. Perfect fellowship with God, enjoyment of God, communion with God, speaking with God. In the early chapters of Genesis, that's what you find. God coming into the garden to have fellowship with Adam and Eve. And that's what Jesus brings to us too. That's what we were made for. And he's our example indeed in every way that we should live as human beings. And in chapter 13, you have a wonderful emphasis on that, where he came to wash the feet of the disciples. But you remember he said himself, do you know what I have done to you? And chapter 13, verses 15 to 16. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. You see, he's speaking about himself, the one who was sent, the one who came willingly, the servant. What has he done? He's shown that he's a servant. He's giving us an example as to how to treat each other, to regard others as worthy above ourselves of being helped, of being ministered to. And he goes on in that chapter um, to speak near the end of the chapter, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. Now you see, that's a public way of showing that we're following Jesus' example. His example of loving others beyond giving attention to himself. Indeed, loving others before he thought of himself. And the public saw that. And for you and me today, this is our privilege too. We have him as an example. He's not just an example, of course. You can never be saved yourself by, uh, by your own efforts, by just trying to follow his example. And we don't need to do that in order to be saved. It's having been saved, having come to him and accepted him for who he is. It's then that we come to seek to follow his example that he has set us in a human life as he revealed in as is revealed in the gospel so the pitying voice of jesus his understanding of death and his empathy with sinners the praying voice of jesus it revealed who he was as the son and savior and it revealed what he had become as the servant and as a great example to us to follow in the pattern of our lives. But the third thing, briefly, is the powerful voice of Jesus. Now, the powerful voice of Jesus carries with it two very closely related things. Uh, there's firstly authority and secondly ability. And in Jesus, they're always tied together. It's the voice of authority and it's the voice of ability. Let's look at the first one, the voice of authority. You can see, going back to, forward to chapter 18, for example, when they came to arrest Jesus, something remarkable happened. In chapter 18 of John, you find it described there in verses 4 to 8. Judas, at the head of those that were coming to uh, bring Jesus into custody, he procured a band of soldiers. He came and came to seek to bring Jesus into custody. And Jesus turned and said to them, knowing all that would happen to him. You see, John's uh, references are so important. He said, Jesus said, whom do you seek? He answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And these words in the Greek original text just simply say, I am. And theologians have always looked at that as a, a way of referring back to the great I am of Exodus chapter 3 the great name of God, the revelation of God's great name as to who he is and what he's about. And here is Jesus saying, I am, I am he. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. And so he asked them again, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. She said, he said, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. There's so much power by some sort of power shock. It was a power shop because the power was provided by 
Jesus' words, words of power, words by which he conveyed his own power. And that's why he was then able to instruct them authoritatively. If you seek me, saying it's me you seek, let these people go, let these men go. How precious is that to yourself today? That Jesus um, is, you could say, Jesus is actually saying virtually to death itself, seeing it as me or to God's condemnation. Whatever you think of in relation to what we deserve for our sins, Jesus is saying to death and to God's condemnation and to God's wrath, seeing it is me that you're seeking, let these go their way. Let them be released. Let them be free and take me instead. How precious is that? How wonderful is that? That the powerful voice of Jesus is a voice that could speak in such terms. And then when you come back to chapter 11, how did he come to speak to the grave in which Lazarus was entombed? Well, you can see there in verses 43 and 44, how he actually spoke. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with the linen strips. Who else could speak with such authority to death that death would instantly obey, that death would instantly give up the occupant of the grave? That's why he spoke with a loud voice. Because the loud voice showed the authority that he had. And when you carry that forward to the cross, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, you'll find that that's what's said about his own death. You imagine from the cross, having been through what he's gone through, having experienced the buffeting and the beating and the mistreatment, the awful treatment that he had met with from human beings, having experienced in his own soul the depth of what's involved in his cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The worst suffering of all, the suffering that's due to us for our sins, having experienced all that, you might think, surely he's not able to do anything now more than just briefly whisper. He cried with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Why did he do it with a loud voice? Because he wanted to demonstrate that death was not taking him. He was giving himself to death. Death was his servant, not his master. With a loud voice, Jesus truly died, but Jesus also triumphantly died. His death was a real death, physically, spiritually, eternally in a soul but he died triumphantly he died with triumph over death he died showing that he had death by the neck as he came to die it's the voice of authority and following on and closely related to that is the voice of ability because you see when jesus here spoke to the grave of Lazarus, instantly Lazarus came out. Just imagine if you had been standing around there, one of the crowd looking on as to what was happening here, and here you find this man coming and speaking to this closed tomb, having had the stone rolled away, taken away from the tomb, and then Jesus coming, 
and saying, Into where the body of Lazarus is lying, Lazarus, come out. You would look around and say, What's happening? And then you'd see Lazarus coming out, still bound with the grave clothes, just shuffling his way out of that grave to join the people standing by watching. What would you think? Wouldn't you be amazed? You'd think every single person there would have come to say, I have to trust in this man. I have to give my life to this man. You would say, surely this is God. Well, some did and some didn't. Having seen this amazing miracle, when you go through to chapter 12, you find that certain people of the authorities there wanted to put Lazarus to death again. Why? Because many people were following Jesus because of him. You can see a miracle. Doesn't necessarily mean you'll accept Jesus. But this is what they saw. This voice of ability and authority speaking to death and saying, let your grip be released. Lazarus, come out. And he came out. And you know that you could carry that forward. I know the time's going. Um, if you think about John 20 and letting down the net again, Jesus after his resurrection. You remember Peter and those fishing with him saw this figure on the shore. He asked them if they'd caught anything. They hadn't, of course. So he said, cast your net out again. And then it, it, it filled with fish. And there's a wonderful uh, confirmation there for these disciples, these apostles who were going to go out with the gospel, that this risen Jesus was the one who had the power to bring people into his salvation. Just as he brought the fish into the net, his power, his powerful voice, would bring people to know him as the saviour. But maybe equally uh, precious to you today is that this powerful voice of Jesus as authoritative and able is also a voice that creates peace in your soul. Again in John chapter 20, once again, you remember he had come into the little room that they were all gathered in, having risen from the dead. And in John 20 in verses 19 to 22, on the evening of that day, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he showed them his hands and his side. And then again, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. You can relate that to words you find in chapter 14. My peace I am giving you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. I am giving you my peace. It's this voice of Jesus, this voice of authority, this voice of ability, this person who has this voice is the one who creates peace in your soul. Whatever it is today you're experiencing, this is where you will find your peace. And you know, it's quite proper to say that we can have circumstances that cause the greatest pain and still enjoy peace in our hearts. Why? Because Jesus creates it. Now, how do you come to hear the voice of Jesus then? If this voice, this pitying voice, this voice full of pity, this voice of prayer, this voice that's so powerful, how do I come to hear it? Where do I find it? You find it quite simply in his word, his written word, 
and prayer, the two together. That's where you hear the voice of Jesus. That's where you're, you're able to listen because as Romans 10 verse 17 puts it, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And Acts chapter 10 where Cornelius and his family and his household are gathered in the presence there of Peter. That's what he says. Now then, we are all gathered here to hear what you have to say as God has given you. Isn't that what you're doing today? We are gathered here to listen to the voice of Jesus, to hear what God has to say to us. It's exactly the same for you privately when you come to pray and use your Bible. You're coming to listen to Christ, to listen obediently, surely, to listen with a view to serving him and to give in your life to him if you haven't done so already today. Uh, we are listening to the voice of Jesus through the gospel. Horatius Boner was a hymn writer. He was a free church minister who lived uh, in the middle of the 1800s. Uh, he lived along with some of the great men of the time. Uh, he wrote many hymns. And one of the hymns he wrote is called The Voice of Jesus. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water. Thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, thy morn shall rise, and all thy day be bright. I look to Jesus, and I found in him my star, my sun. And in that light of life I'll walk till travelling days are done. The voice of Jesus, a voice of pity, a voice in prayer, a voice all-powerful. Have you heard it today? And having heard it, have you heard it obediently? Have you heard it thankfully, gladly, submissively? I pray that we all have. Lord God, we thank you today that you are speaking to us, that you still speak to us through your word, and that you are speaking to into our circumstances in life. We thank you for the knowledge that you have of us, even at our most trying times. You have been tempted in all points like as we are, and yet without sin. So help us to come boldly to your throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We bless you today, O Lord, that you draw from your own great store of divine knowledge and of human experience, so that you come to draw near and to comfort those who are grieved and to give strength to those who are weak. We pray today that you'd bless us 
and ask that you continue to be with us now, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now we're going to sing in conclusion today, and we're singing from Psalm 29. That's in the Sing Psalms version of Psalm 29, using the blue books, that's on page 34. We'll sing to the tune St. Daniel. And we'll sing verses 1 to 5, and then the final verse, 10 and 11. You mighty ones give to the Lord as is right, ascribe to the Lord God both glory and might. To the Lord's name due glory and honour accord, in beauty of holiness worship the Lord. <clears throat> you mighty ones give to the Lord as is right, ascribe to the Lord God both glory and might, to the Lord's name due glory and honour accord, in beauty of holiness worship the Lord. The Lord's voice is over the waters abroad, and thunder proceeds from the glorious God. Above all the waters, God's thunder is heard, a powerful voice is the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord is majestic and loud, by the voice of the Lord the great cedars are bowed. Yes, even the cedars of Lebanon tall, the Lord breaks in pieces and shatters them all. The Lord over floods sits as monarch alone. The Lord sits forever as king on his throne. The Lord makes the strength of his people increase. The Lord gives his people the blessing of peace. Do watch again in the evening if you can, uh, when Reverend Kenny I will be preaching, leading a service. That'll be at 6.30 tonight, uh, and uh, do please, if you can, tune in to that. Let's close now with the benediction. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore. Amen. And thank you once again for joining in with the service.